This is the Paul List Podcast, daily critical and cultural engagements with the world of comics. I'm Tuply on Twitter at TWOPLAI. Every day I dialogue with a comic book. My perspective is as an observer, a critic, an academic, and a teacher. Sometimes that means I get a little philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. But since I do an analysis of a comic book every day for about 20 minutes, I do get into the details. So I suggest that you buy the book and read it first, whether you get it from a local retailer or digitally, uh, before you listen. Yes, that is a spoiler warning. Hey, listeners. Uh, Today is Thursday. This is coming out kind of late. I'm still kind of getting started with this, and so... This being only the third episode, uh, I had an intro episode. You can check that out if you haven't heard it. And then I had my first analysis episode uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday. And every day I um, have a, a different theme. So so Wednesday is the Wide World of Comics Day. And I uh, really try to dip into comics from a lot of different places. Um, Wednesday, I talked about the book Esteban, The Whaler from Europe Comics. Um, today, just to give a, a kind of a glimpse of the range that we're trying to cover here, uh, today's Thursday, and so uh, we have the Thursday throwback. And the Thursday throwback is when I look at a classic comic of some kind. It could be, a, I don't know, an old newspaper strip. It could be, uh, you know, a, a, a landmark graphic novel. Um, in today's case, it's a two-issue comic book story, uh, nothing, none other than The Death of Gwen Stacy, one of the landmark comic books um, on many lists among the, you know, the most important Marvel stories ever, the most important superhero comics ever, um, maybe among the most important comics ever, flat-out period. Um, and so I'm going to talk about the, the death of Gwen Stacy. It's in the Amazing Spider-Man issues 121 to 122. And uh, if you uh, haven't read it, if you haven't checked it out, like I said at the top, I'm going to spoil it. Um, it is, hmm, yeah, it's a fun, worthwhile read. Definitely worth your time and attention. And so I would definitely uh, grab the book if you haven't. Uh, so uh, spoiler warning is done. I'm going to get into the, the content of the book. I didn't talk about what today is. today. Oh, I did. Today's Throwback Thursday. So, <laughs> um, a little note before I get into this. Um, I ha- mentioned in the f- intro episode that I write for a few different sources, and I gave a shout-out to a couple of podcasts that um, I think do a really good job of comics coverage. Uh, one of them is Multiversity Comics, uh, Robots from Tomorrow podcast. And Multiversity Comics is a site that I occasionally write long-form columns for. Um, And, you know, Multiversity has great coverage of really the wide spectrum of comics, um, but I guess kind of an emphasis on the mainstream. They they major in the majors, so to speak, and so they spend a lot of time with superhero comics. And I, I think it's worth it to say that, you know, as I keep contextualizing, spend more time contextualizing than actually probably talking about comics, but as I keep contextualizing, I'm reading uh, these books with a, you know, a mind and uh, uh, a focus on the uh, philosophical and uh, sociological and literary aspects of comics, um, being something of a scholar. <laughs> uh, and so 
I think that um, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that superhero comics matter, and they have to matter, um, because the other source that I write for is um, I am in the editor of the blog segment uh, of the Comics Alternative, and the Comics Alternative is a podcast I mentioned in my intro, and as a podcast, uh, Derek Parker Royal um, and his partner, uh, the other of the two guys with PhDs talking about comics, uh, who's Andy Kunkka, they they and also Derek and a host of other um, scholars and, and comic readers and critical thinkers about comics, they cover, you know, all of the wide world of comics except for the superhero mainstream. And I so value the work that we do at Comics Alternative. As the blog editor, that means that I get to, um, you know, uh, uh, commission and edit and post uh, reviews and commentaries about um, comics of all kinds. And there's just so much out there in, um, you know, in the different fields of comics. Uh, the medium, I think, is more lively than ever. Um, more lively even than in the time before the Wortham trials. Uh, famously, uh, Frederick Wortham in the 1950s brought um, a, 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 a ballast of condemnation upon American comics, um, linking comics to juvenile delinquents, uh, you know, uh, juvenile delinquents and um, crime and you know communism and all sorts of things and. This was especially after the era of comics' peak popularity when um, some of the stuff like um, William Gaines's EC uh, publisher was doing comics that were um, of all kinds of genres. I mean, you name it. And um, whether it was, you know, horror or crime, uh, which were the things that, you know, often sold and became, uh, I guess, exploited as examples of just how, you know, immoral uh, and uh, <laughs> degrading comics were to youth and culture and so forth and all kinds of cultural attachments of, you know, being lowbrow and, and cheap and, um, you know, um, lacking any kind of literary merit or worth um, became attached at that time. Um, but at the same time, you know, you had you know, westerns and romance comics and um, re really just <laughs> this incredible variety. And everybody read, I mean, every kid read comics. Um, and, you know, a, a great deal of adults, too. Um, I mean, maybe it was just the New Yorker comics. But, you know, my point being that um, the time before the Wortham sort of trials, really a, a witch hunt, um, were marked by this diversity and broad readership in American comics that, you know, really hasn't um, been the same, I would say, until the last few decades. And um, so with all the wide diversity, when we talk about throwback Thursday classics, I think I want to keep that really broad. Um, I'd love to talk about the landmark comics from a lot of arenas. Um, but I, I think starting out with the superhero world and starting out with a book like The Death of Gwen Stacy is an apt place to start because 
uh, like the comics alternative, I value, you know, really in- inspecting and enjoying and uh, promoting the broad range of stuff that's out there. But um, at the same time, I think if you want to talk about and understand comics comprehensively, you just really can't ignore the um, dominant place of the superhero books in not only representing the medium and introducing the medium to so many people, but um, uh, in, in advancing it and in pushing it forward. And so, you know, a book like The Death of Gwen Stacy, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 121 and 122, the whole run of Amazing Spider-Man from the beginnings in Amazing Fantasy 15 by Lee, Stan Lee, and, and Steve Ditko, that did something significant to move comics forward. And I think um, uh, I think it's worth discussing. It's worth analysis. So the death of Gwen Stacy, um, to move to the book proper, uh, it's probably, it's got to be up there with the most well-known super, uh, Spider-Man stories. You know, maybe right after his origin. Um, maybe Craven sits in there somewhere and, well, anyway, I'm not gonna go in. I'm not gonna go into ranking the importance or the popularity of Spider-Man stories. Suffice it, suffice it to say that um, the 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 to this two-part story um, takes place over these two issues, written by Jerry Conway, um, art by Gil Kane, uh, inked by John Romita, and uh, oof, I'm gonna shortchange the other inker. Um, two inkers, I remember. Uh, let me get to it. Uh, inked by John Romita and Tony uh, Monterello. Uh, the, the book, um, well, it's so important that many have considered it the marker, I guess the watershed that marks, um, the movement from what was the silver age of comics, you know, the silver age inaugurated by the, the flash introducing the, you know, the idea of multiple earths, um, silver age that included the birth and growth of uh, you know the marvel that we know not the you know old timely comics of the 40s with captain america and namor and stuff but the the marvel that includes the hulk and spider-man and so forth um this book uh very much you know is one of the the seminal books in bringing about the bronze age which was a time when i think the post um 60s uh, I think the realities that were just uh, undeniable throughout society um, in social movements and in things happening politically um, became it became impossible to do comic books or to do comic book fantasy without reckoning with a great deal of reality. And the death of Gwen Stacy is maybe reckoning with the greatest reality that comics were very much made to avert um to try to to try to avoid um you know comics are uh, well no, I, sh- I shouldn't say i, I sh- shouldn't say comics to stand in for what i what we mean what when we mean uh superhero comics i think a great deal of superhero comics was really about appealing to the transcendence um, the the aching and the desiring in every human being to not be bound by human limitations. Um, and maybe the greatest human limitation, of course, is our mortality. And so 
um, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, one of the reasons it was so amazing and so many related to it and it became so enormously popular in its time is that um, we had in Batman and Superman and so many of the superheroes these iconic figures of transcendence. They were gods. They, uh, you know, stood above us in our mortal limitations. And in a way, they were aspirational in, this, in that sense, in that it was really about, you know, transcending our limits. And it was being able to be a type, uh, become a type, and accomplish what we often can't uh, but want to. Um, what the Marvel characters in the 60s did is that they tended to have a heavy dose of of the actual constraints and the realities of you know human beings especially in that era and yet despite having those limitations constraints pressures um, they found a way they were um, they were still heroes you know this, this isn't quite the age when anti-heroes sort of take the spotlight um, but but they were heroes with asterisks sometimes and in Spidey's case though noble though um, you know intrepid though courageous you know Spidey was late all the time to his class and uh, disappointed his Aunt May and uh, was a teenager who struggled with real teenage issues and that reality was really appealing I think I think to to, to readers of all ages but um, especially to um, to, to younger readers and to adolescents who I, I think we're looking for, especially in that era, you know, we're talking about here, the 60s and the 70s, they were looking for characters who they could um, not only, uh, you know, admire, but identify with. Um, Peter Parker is very much that kind of identifiable figure. And Spider-Man is very much that kind of identifiable, thought, uh, that kind of identifiable figure. And yet, you know, yet there has to be that amount of transcendence there has to be something in his superpowers and what he's able to accomplish that um that you know stretches beyond our normal scope uh, as human beings and that's what spider-man does you know he's a nerd uh, but he sciences his way out of all kinds of problems he um tries to protect his family and disappoints them endlessly um and yet it drives him to a kind of um almost obsessive you know uh, mission quest uh, but unlike you know Bruce Wayne he he does so with a grain of salt he has to laugh at himself he has a bit of irony um, he has a sense of humor and and that's you know who Spider-Man is that's his appeal um, but what Amazing Spider-Man 121 represents is it represents a reckoning with with death and that's what makes it so remarkable um, so to to just kind of cover the story, because I realized I totally jumped way ahead. Basically, the outlines of the story, the contours of the plot, is that um, Peter Parker's, you know, good buddy Harry Osborn is is in rough shape, and at the time Peter is has been um, dating Gwen Stacy, who's sort of a, um, you know, uh, aside from the tragedy of her police captain father dying, is sort of a a flawless, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Um, you know, sort of dream girl of of you know whatever middle America at the time, and meanwhile, Mary Jane, who's the other contender for 
Peter's affections is sort of a, a wilder, you know, redheaded, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, and, or maybe I do, but I don't want to attach them to, to young women any more than we already do. But anyway, Peter is dating Gwen. Uh, Mary's in the pic- Mary Jane is in the picture. And uh, Harry is uh, has had a previous bout with drugs and their effects, which of course in this era are uh, nothing nothing good. Nothing good could possibly come of that. Um, but anyway, he's um, back on. Uh, I think he winds up taking cocaine and um, LSD. I stand corrected. Of course, that era LSD. What do you think of Paul? Uh, so he's on LSD and Spider-Man uh, finds out about it, tries to come help, and then finds out that Norman Osborn, Harry's father, who is, of course, anybody versed in, you know, the, the vaguest of Spider-Man lore knows that uh, Norman is a classic foil for Peter and uh, and he's the villain, the Green Goblin, um, but has somehow, uh, and I'll leave it to you to read the backstory, forgotten not only that he's the green goblin but the fact that he knows that peter parker is spider-man you know he finds this out in a previous story and and then he forgets and uh but he's angry he's angry at peter he blames peter for what's happened to his son harry and kicks them out uh and then you know finds out about his business is doing poorly has a kind of a psychotic break remembers that he is the green goblin goblin and that you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker is none other than Spider-Man, and, and goes after him, and um, goes after the Green Goblin, uh, I'm sorry, Green Goblin goes after Spider-Man, and goes directly to Peter's apartment, and finds um, none other than Gwen Stacy there, he kidnaps Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man goes after him, uh, they have a fight on uh, what's called the George Washington Bridge, although it's supposed to be the Brooklyn Bridge, and he throws her off the bridge, and in, of course, superhero fashion, Spider-Man shoots out his web shooters, and they grab Gwen uh, by the uh, by the leg. And in a a page that um, I think is, yeah, again, one of the most important pages in comics, uh, you know, Spider-Man shouts out, "Gwen, no!" And he says, "I gotta catch her." Stop her fall before she hits the water. I've got to. I've got to. And you see the the webs, uh, you know, wrap around her her leg. And he says, "Did it?" He announces in a dialogue caption. And then you see the the um, sound effect word snap in the region of Gwen's head. And then Spider Man starts pulling her up and says, "Spider powers, I love you. Not only am I the most dashing hero on two legs." And as he's pulling up Gwen, she's a limp figure, um, contrasted against the um, sternness of the the brick of the the bridge, the Brooklyn George Washington Bridge. And finally, when he in the next page, when he's holding her in his arms, he's still the same old quippy Spider-Man, but he realizes that she's dead, and uh, he's can't believe it. Don't be dead, Gwen. I don't want you to be dead. I saved you, honey. Don't you see? I saved you. And uh, and she's she's dead. And and I imagine for readers of the era, you know, the unthinkable had happened. Really, this is 
you you read comic books to 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 not have to face this to not have to face the possibility that amidst all the danger the one that you loved could could die uh you read comics to read stories of heroism where such things don't occur and uh stories that have been sanitized um you know because of the grimness and the darkness of what i mentioned before previous era of comics that were supposedly bad bad influences on on children and you um you didn't encounter death and so in the time between spider-man 121 and 122 the you know all of the attention was on is she really dead could this really be and i think it showed how you know how loath comic books and comic book readers were to really kind of being able to accept the possibility of death um famously there's a story in um documented in sean howe's book um marvel the untold story uh, which is a great book by the way if you're just interested in comics history that stan lee <laughs> who you know obviously penned spider-man for uh, i don't know exactly how many issues but had handed over the writing duties to, to jerry conway um they were often at odds the two of them um obviously collegial conway runs the idea conway and kane run the idea by Stanley that they're going to kill off Gwen Stacy. And in fact, kill him off, be, kill her off because Conway was annoyed that that Parker ends up with with Stacy because she seemed just really too ideal, too perfect uh, a, a you know, a romantic entanglement for him. She was just uh well, he he sort of accused Lee of taking his then girlfriend and future wife and drawing her into the the comic and having Peter Parker, you know, head over heels for her and and it's a bit of wish fulfillment and um and and then you know, really not serving the story. Um to Conway, I think Mary Jane was the one that Peter was always meant to be with. And so in some some ways uh, Conway and, and Kane writing Gwen Stacy's death is a kind of uh, a kind of revenge, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe a not the most merciful act. Um, and fast forward many years later, you know, this is a trope we see in many kinds of stories, and sadly in comics quite a lot. The trope that um, the wife, the girlfriend, the you know female counterpart um, is often the you know a convenient character to uh, kill off or to have tragedy strike, uh, mostly to increase the pathos so that the male protagonist can uh, be driven to revenge, driven to um, you know the kind of uh, you know. Uh, psychological edges that we want our heroes to to get to sometimes, and that's exactly what happens to Spider-Man. He goes after Green Goblin for revenge. He's it's fairly brutal <laughs> for the time. He he rams his head into the bridge at some at one point, uh, you know, the steel beam of a bridge or something like that. And meanwhile, you hear Spider-Man working out his own guilt, um, and 
it's ambiguous, maybe, or or maybe, you know, I think later in the media they would conf- the the creators would confirm it over and over again that it was because of the way that Parker caught her that her neck snapped. Um, but in the story itself, it's a little bit you know there's reasons to to be unsure whether she sort of you know died right away as she was falling from you know mortal terror or if it was because of the way that peter caught her uh, obviously it's the green goblin's fault but you hear all kinds of manifestations of spider-man's own guilt um you know in fact right away he he's talking uh, in 122 about green goblin but he, he he basically says that you know i didn't see the cable and you kind of wonder if there's a double meaning there um and of course there is all the pathos of him flashing back to his relationship with Gwen and how precious she was to him and the swirl of faces and emotions in his mind that are in some sense accusing him and you can really you know it really plays up <laughs> the melodrama of Spider-Man um not only not being able to save but perhaps to some extent being responsible and in fact Parker blames Spider-Man himself says that if I was if not for Spider-Man if you know meaning if I was not Spider-Man none of this could have come between me and Gwen it's because I was Spider-Man it's because of Spider-Man that she died and so he projects onto this alter ego which is of course himself the guilt and the responsibility that he feels for um for losing Gwen and it's fascinating psychological treatment. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, the whole trope of the girlfriend or the wife being killed um, really gets discussed a few decades later. There's a, a website called Women in Refrigerators uh, started by Gail Simone, herself a, you know, a really prolific and, and um, accomplished comics writer. And women in refrigerators refers to the uh, wife, I think it was, of the Green Lantern at the time, Kyle Rayner, who, you know, was killed off as a plot device and stuffed into a refrigerator. And the just the, that kind of treatment of that figure, you know, that uh, that all too frequent, um, usually the 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 wife girlfriend. Sometimes it's the um, token minority who gets killed off right away, but you know, it's really that, that kind of treatment of women, that women are essentially characters to be tools um, in the, you know, the, the mind games and in the, the violent um, play back and forth between really the real agentive figures in the stories, which are Harry Osborne and Peter Parker and, and whomever. Um, that pattern um, is, has received its due critique. Um, and in some ways, Gwen Stacy is that character, maybe the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the archetype. And, uh, you know, I think on one hand, you see in this comic book a kind of maturity. Um, comics no longer wanting to, um, uh, I guess, to, to be mere escapism. No, not wanting to um, shirk away from darkness, 
um, or maybe returning to the point where superhero comics, the most flighty fantasies, <laughs> the most escapist uh, genre, uh, starts to come to terms with death and things like it um, and guilt and responsibility of heroes for uh, for the evil that um, comes with what they do. Um, and on the other hand, it's, um, you know, it's got all kinds of marks of uh, the ways that we arranged those stories culturally um, for all too long a time and the, re- the ways that we arranged figures and um, roles to just to, to fit that. Um, and it's effective. I mean, you read that comic book, you read The Death of Gwen Stacy, and years later it holds up and you feel the the agony um you there's i'm staring right now at um in 122 there's just a, a page where uh spidey is changing clothes into peter and in the center panel the one close-up of the page and that's a, one of the things that marvel artists learn to do is to really just have one close-up in each page so that that close-up spoke volumes about the page itself and there's peter parker and he's just got the most furrowed brow crazy wild-eyed look that you could imagine and it just that to me speaks to the bronze age (laughs) it speaks to me of uh of this character who you've come to identify with reaching a point that you that we also identify with when we're at the end of ourselves and um and things are nuts and we're out of control Uh, and we've been We've hit a kind of rock bottom, and that's what the death of Gwen Stacy really is. Um, so much more to say, but I'm coming on my... I told myself once we hit 30 minutes, uh, I get uh, yanked off the mic. So uh, if you haven't read The Death of Gwen Stacy, uh, I hope I didn't ruin it too much. I think it's still worth reading. Um, if you have, I hope that this was a... Um, I don't know, an enlightening reminder... I'm not sure. It's fun for me. It, this is just fun for me. You know, that's what I'm getting out of doing this. And it's um, it's a good time to revisit. I mean, it is a good time for me. I mean, I enjoy it. That's what I mean by it's a good time. Uh, not that there's a particular reason for <laughs> this to be a particularly good moment. I don't know if there's ever a good moment to be reading The Death of Gwen Stacy. But it hits you, you know? So, anyway... Uh, I am Matt Tuply, and this has been uh, The Paulist, and I encourage you to keep listening, and, um, you know, hit me up and let me know what you think. Thanks.